Hello, and welcome to the News Pace podcast. And here this week is a beautiful man. Uh, you can call him Al Borealis. He's a connoisseur of culture, a philosophical man, not afraid to tackle a tough topic or examine any field of thought. And he's proved that he will speak to uh, anyone, those, uh, including those who people choose to censor or ignore. And you'll find Al's Forum Borealis on things like Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, YouTube, etc., but also at forumborealis.net. Um, and the people he speaks to um, and the subjects he explores will be of particular interest to my audience um, who enjoy hidden histories, myth and law and the new world order and its creation. And what was behind it, you know, that sort of like a phenomenon that made all of these things manifest. And we're going to have a really nice free-form conversation today about uh, loads of different topics. Um, and I hope you really enjoy Al, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Pretty stoked. My pleasure. My pleasure. So what do you want people to know about you? Who is Al um, projecting himself out to be? Like the sentient being who lives on Earth, who wants to talk to people. What, what, what do you introduce yourself as? How do you describe yourself? Well, I always try to keep myself somewhat in the background of the focus i really hate talking about myself but like you pointed out right before we started sometimes your information and the conveyor of it merges now for me i use uh, the slogan paradigm expansion so although your listeners are primed to much of what we are covering there will be stuff that's just too deep down. Or, or maybe I should say detours in the rabbit hole. That's not for them. But that's not just true for your listeners. It's true for any listener I have because I cover so many different subject matters and we go deep into all those subject matters. So I'm bound to hit a wall or, or, or on something that my listeners can't relate to because they are a heterogene group. And that's fine because I prime them, and I'm sure the same is true for your listeners, to say that, look, you don't, I'm not trying to shovel down your throat a particular opinion, a particular conviction. All I want to do is provide you a data point, like journalists like you do, via my guests and the topics we cover and the perspectives we put out, because I'm honest about having a perspective. I'm not pretending to be neutral. But... You consider these data points and you integrate them. And another last thing I'm going to say about this thing that is very important for me is that I'm against this need, this knee-jerk need people have to immediately form an opinion about something. Mm -hmm. Look, man, if something is unexplainable to you, if something mm -hmm. is mysterious, if something doesn't jive or, or, or the dots doesn't fit, put them on the shelf don't forget about them. And when you see they fit in the big picture, then you put them in. Or if that never happens, at least you are aware of them. Let's say before the UFO disclosure, right? If you couldn't get that to jive with the mainstream paradigm and you were really unsure about, you know, the reality of it, and we still are. I mean, even if they acknowledge the phenomenon, no answers are given. All I'm saying is know that they, that they are a part of existence they're a part of the, our collective reality. What, why, when? There's no urgency to find out. Have them there, revisit them and, uh, from time to time, see if it fits and live with that. Because when you die, you, you, you're going to die with 
a lot of ignorance. You're never going to know it all anyway. <laughs> yeah, you are preaching, brother. To me, you are, you're preaching to the choir because I tell you, um, one thing that I like, I, I started off journalism thinking, oh, I'm going to find all the answers and I'm going to find them quick and I'm going to push them out and I'm going to learn to write articles quick, just like they do in the mainstream media, you know. They'll write, what, three, four articles a week, pump them out, pump them out, make everybody see the truth. And you're not saying, like, much anything because you're not actually examining what's going on. You're not sitting back, taking it all all in you're not noticing um and i discovered that that was that was where my um journalism changed all of a sudden really quickly but this i i did no longer i i was tackling subjects where i no longer needed to do it by a certain time uh the things i was looking for were um so hidden away and so unknown that there is no competition to find them i can walk around and do whatever i like and look at the scene and when i do street journalism auditing i do the same thing nowadays you know i i I walk up and down the street over and over again and i watch all the people who are static and i watch all of the people who are moving um and i make my decisions slowly on what i'm going to aim and what i'm going to focus in and what i'm going to look at because there is no rush to find the answer because those answers aren't, aren't real uh, but let though. me ask you this uh, as a journalist as an as a old school journalist actually researching primary sources actually having to put stuff down on paper so people can read it actually providing us those data points i'm referring to you are by the very nature of that work bogging you down into the details and but when you're a podcaster and you're having on people like yourself providing those then you get the luxury of seeing the big picture like bringing all the dots together which is i'm more there you have one foot in each camp so i'm i'm asking you uh, like are you saying that as you started podcasting you started to more connect these different bits or is it a problem like having a big survey when you have to spend so much time into the details well, well, do you understand first, what i'm saying yeah i i think i do first of all i'd say you know uh, trying to find out what's true or not is always going to be difficult and you always have to have some form of multiple viewpoint to one bit of truth so as someone as you say who's going through primary sources and stuff i i spend days getting rid of all my emotion about a subject just completely become like you know i spend days oh my god these people are oh, god look how disgusting it is oh look how stupid this is and then i go i i go i I become stoic and I become like information, information, gobble up information, information. And I become like a computer to an extent, you know. And that's um, the details. Yeah, yeah. And when I'm when I'm going into the details, that 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 sort of computerized mode of sort of research, I'm processing information, noting, tagging, writing lines. Um, you know, what one thing I do is I sort things out into an order. We must order things. We always must order things if we can understand. Or and that, <laughs> uh, well, as soon as you've 
put something into a timeline it makes sense it makes sense all of a sudden yeah. and then you just insert information into the timeline it makes more sense and it's more interesting and what i i discovered is that the reason why a lot of this sort of journalism is dead and why they're hiding away is because those details lead you to completely other rooms of information that have never been observed and never been looked at um and when you're talking about rabbit holes you go and you you look at the you like to look at the grander bird's eye view that's what i really wanted to speak to you about when uh we coming together today because it's like for me you are quite right and you've noted it i'm there in amongst the detail and i'm constantly trying to keep um my bird's eye view my marcus aurelius perspective in 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 my head i'm still trying to look down and think about what i'm doing and see it from a different angle but it's really hard to do once you're in the detail so i wanted to understand from someone who can see outside because i think that's what you can do isn't it you're you're uh, you, you can see exterior what does the world look like what does this world look like how did we get from a to b it seems like world war Two, um and uh like this culmination of myth and culture mythos and culture caused this explosion of a new society being created behind the scenes and you're able to talk to all of the people who can give you all of the bits of that i'm one of the people who, who finds the bits to that so i i do understand that i'm on a bit scale but i also know that as soon as someone like you is able to explain to me the tent that we we uh or we are all camping under then i know what the boundaries of the the land are and i can go and find the other information so you're you, you and me we're sitting we our relationships like the 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 type of journalism we do uh should be symbiotic should be uh uh more that we we are conversing that you're helping guide the way here while we're helping you see the truth here you know so what what is it that you see the world like now uh and where did it come from it's so hard such a hard question to grasp i think you understand what i mean it's a huge question. Before I even go in that door you just opened, I want to kudos something you said because timelines, timelines is to journalists what space lines measuring uh, geographical units are to surveyors, right? That's how you get, that's one of the ways you get uh, the big picture. It's true. Mm -hmm. um, as for your approach now to the subject matter look there's so many ways to answer that but let me post this suggestion reality i mean we are just a part of reality how can a microbe understand in your body understand the entire body so we are born into a reality into something and i i know you have uh, experience with psychedelics so it shouldn't be a problem for you to understand what i'm saying uh, how can a part of this huge universe reality understand everything i mean it's per definition a mystery and then we are born at a time and a space where there's a consensus reality regarding that real uh, life that world and obviously no no one in history maybe except for now actually has ever imagined that we know it all it's just that mm -hmm. this is the collective reality and then everybody else have their own subjective reality adding to that outside of this overtone window. Okay, that's fine. Uh, 
Now, some has been more cheeky than others. I'd say certain streams of Sonimus Islam, uh, Catholicism at its worst, um, and now the new new neocon, neolib, uh, atheist, transhumanist uh, paradigm. All of them have in, in common that, no, we know it all. And if you even try to go outside of this purview, you're, you're done. You're crazy. Mm -hmm. We're going to finish you, whatever. So that's, that's a little weird living in a time where we pretend that everything is in, into this small overton window. So I realized very soon that the only thing we know for sure is that we know nothing. And so... Mm -hmm. That's why I have a more philosophical approach because I could explain this existentially. I could explain it in many terms. But in terms of politics, that's probably the simplest area where we know that uh, there's a lot we, uh, going on that we don't know. And thank God that the exhausted term conspiracy theory that CIA launched to lure us away from asking critical questions about JFK assassination. Thank God that that has played out its usage and all the other smears they try to put on us. So nowadays mm -hmm. we can discuss almost, that's also weird. We live in a time where the censorship has never been this brutal and overt and they never had that many means to do it. At the same time, we live in a time where every narrative is cracking left and right, mm -hmm. partly thanks to people like you and even me. So, that's, that's kind of weird. But I, I guess that's how we have to approach it, that the reality is, per definition, fantastic. And we only know a little, per definition. And, and that's a starting point. Where, where, do you, where, where do you think modern history starts? <laughs> is, is, it, is it World War II? Does it yeah. feel like... Because that's, yeah, that's how it feels. It's a big, big uh, parting of the... Yeah, uh, after World War II, I would say, is the new reset. Yeah, yeah. Now, there you go, reset, because I think, like, um, in a sense, it, it, the introduction of extreme enough or the knowledge that extreme enough technologies are going to be introduced causes resets by, uh, you know, it, it, you can't stop, it's automatic. So you, I think each of the industrial revolutions, in a sense, were, were uh, they were acted as their own separate reset where power was uh, dispensed in a certain way and and uh and as technology improved we've seen we've seen that uh go on and of course uh, the penultimate that leads to the explosion and the explosion is beautifully um exampled by the atomic bomb now, okay so someone i, I, can, I have uh, to comment that okay go on you're very right it's not just the tools of power that changed it's just it's not just the new narrative flushing out on the world market but there's also new power players that's very important to understand old power players fell the ottoman empire isn't around anymore they had half of europe prior to so a new power players came and the very interesting thing is that as in the late 1800s uh, many of the power players coming on the scene then were should we say, behind the scenes. They were puppet masters. Yes, yes. This continued after the Second World War, only with new uh, mm -hmm. hidden factions of power. I'm not saying there's one big Illuminati controlling everything. That's the simpleton view. Yeah. All I'm saying is there was already an established world order where there's room for private players. 
And mm-hmm. after Second World War, we have some new private and public players. A new public player, for example, is Israel. Yeah. And the Zionists. So I tried who, to... By the way, who, by the way, used to be a hidden power player back in the you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, because they had to. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm I, like, I see, I go back to about 1840s, 1850s, you, I, and you start to see, uh, obviously, the rhetoric of creating a bigger order go as the technology, like increases, the technology increases. And by 1860, 1870, is really, really more sophisticated technology is coming in. You're seeing like this real understanding of places, centers of power like Harvard, um them say the president saying right we need to create a, a world order um we need to unite the countries of the world and we need to be focused on what is important and uh, th- this was like you know put within the ether during that time and every generation it, a, a, a very rich and powerful family might not have a next generation that actually does a good job and lots of them just like you know maybe they can last two two generations with all of their money but for instance with seagrams um with the um, bronfman family you've seen that it starts to fall apart under um edgar bronfman jr he was being silly with all of his his money he was associating with the wrong people he wasn't a good businessman and so his power and event their empire dissipated and just disappeared um uh, well basically disappeared they still got a lot of money but all of these power players they change generationally as well usually sometimes they last like i say two generations so you get like a 60 years of a burst of a family but this is where some of the real big families in the turn of the 1800s are much more different where they said we can see this pattern how can we maintain the wealth for our family going on past those couple of generations so i think there was a knowledge and people had examined themselves for long enough and then world war one really was a a a big learning curve for everybody and they knew already by the next 20 years uh, the atomic bomb something big like that was on its way and so this was going to change everything going to twist everything turn everything on its head but but here 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 is very important to uh, consider the zeitgeist most people who are not professional historians don't get that. And that's that in the zeitgeist prior to World War II, there was, I would say, three factors in power wielding. Number one, you pointed to, and that's still among us, and that's the elite families, elite members of the families. But there were two other um, impetuses for power back then. One was, um, and that's almost dissolved now, was ideology. Ideas, allegiances to certain ideas mattered. Mm -hmm. You could be an anarchist, you could be a fascist, you could be a communist, you could be a nationalist, you could be an Islamist, a Zionist. You would actually have loyalty to certain ideas. And this formed, together with elite, it formed networks, which is the third factor. Never was it more popular to be in a club than, uh, let's say, between 1815 and 1915. Belonging to networks, and identification with those networks was important. And uh, today we have dissolved that physical components of human beings. We mm-hmm. still do it kind of online, you know, virtually. 
but it doesn't really have that, you know, in the old days, if you wanted to surveillance someone, they were putting their heads together in certain tavern or some Masonic mm-hmm. lodges or what, mm-hmm. whatnot. They were oh, physical, yes, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. In a so pie much... shop, in Pudding Lane, in a pie shop somewhere. Uh, the, you know, there's some really... Yeah, well, the Kit Kat Club. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the Kit Kat, Kit Kat Club, which was later revived by Ghislaine so Maxwell. Um, but, yeah. but, but early on, it had been like a kind of like its own like a society of thinkers um, that went on to be quite influential. But there's lots of like evidence of this after uh, the time of the Glorious Revolution and this coup in Britain, where the the monarchy, uh, a new monarchy, European monarchy, was installed, and the previous monarchy was ousted, and no one talks about it much they're like oh yeah wow he will you know then william and mary come along and everybody was happy and everybody said yeah all right then and then this uh, like you know uh, uh, wait a that... minute isn't it wind sore all the, all the way um no 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 you got the tudors you got uh, oh, okay wind... you're going back right, yeah, right. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. You, uh, well you i mean you got uh, what Tudors, Stuarts, and then von Habsburg, whatever, right. whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, if I they, lived back then, I would have been a Stuart. But basically, there was at one point, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You were, you would have been, you would really in trouble. You would have been, I would have been a parliamentarian, no doubt. I would have been. As long as you're not a communist, I'm good. Uh, that's 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 what I am. That's what I would have been. I was actually. Would, brought, oh my I was brought up in the 17th century, uh, and my father's name was Colonel John Birch of Colonel John Birch's regiment of foot, um, and I was in a society called the Sealed Knot, which was like a 17th century reenactment society with 8,000 people fighting for. Charity, uh, and every weekend we'd be in a different campsite, uh, dressed up in 17th century gear. And I was on Oliver Cromwell's side. We were fighting under the army of Oliver Cromwell against, of course, King Charles and his evil. Oh God, God we're going to chop that guy's head off! I tell you, we're going to chop his. He head kind off. of asked for it. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I'm more with his father. But I wanted yeah. to say about the we we just agreed as a reset in 45. Right. One of the reasons is that. Like I said, the old philosophies are dying, like nationalism, communism, all that is being co-opted and, and, and kind of transcended. Uh, that's one of the three power factors, right? The, oh, the second is networks. That's being hijacked by intelligence agencies mm. because now starts the era of intelligence, right? Yes, so they, yes. They, 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 they become, an, today they're a community, goddammit. That's what we, they want us to call them, right? <laughs> yeah. so, they're holding hands. They got rainbows and some of them have got, you know, foo-foos they and some of them everything. don't. Yeah, go. yeah, they'll co-opt your woo-woo. <laughs> so, so the third is still untouched, elites and their families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, do, how, how do we fondle that then? <laughs> well, I mean, we're doing it right now, aren't we? Uh, and yeah, people are yeah, aware. Exactly I think it. they will. Fa- I think they will fall. I think uh, uh, to to unravel the deep state, some of the huge secrets have to spill. Like mm-hmm. your uh, the mother of your child does it very well in terms of the Epstein thing. We have, uh, like I mentioned, the UFO thing is unraveling. Even the Jeff RFK. I mean, what a crazy time we're living in. It's like mm-hmm. history is repeating itself on so many isn't levels. Isn't it just, isn't it And now it the just... Kennedy is out there and he says, they killed my uncle and my father. Yeah. Uh, like secret of the secret is spell- spilling. And it's a race now. It's a race between the new media that oh, we and on right. and the mm-hmm. grip, the old rotten grip of the old media. Because, you know, everybody above... Uh, 
you know, the boomers and above, they are still gridlocked. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're still caught by, uh, I mean, in Britain, the BBC is that perfect example of it. Yeah. But all around, uh, what people don't really get in countries like America and Britain is that they can say, like in America, you can say, well, I watch Fox and I don't like Fox anymore because of that Tucker Carlson. And someone will say, oh, well, you should watch CNN. And then they go, oh, I don't like CNN either. Okay, watch NBC. Oh, God, I don't like NBC. I'll watch it. Now, they may all be co-opted, but they're all co-opted in slightly different ways. So it gives them a sense of freedom. But if you're down somewhere in South America, you've got one channel uh telling you everything and most like third world what we describe as third world country or or more backwards than the west do have just one channel propaganda channel that's putting information into people's minds and i think a lot of the 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 force that will come that will back up western ideology in the northern hemisphere will come from sort of them uh using the southern hemisphere against uh the northern hemisphere or less um uh, media savvy countries uh me i don't know if media savvy not media savvy like uh, a, a, a good collection a good range of media now what you're talking about is this new media that's coming up um and the new media still has like some of it still has links to uh the old media yeah. you know uh, and there seems to be some um sort of uh hereditary factor there seems to be a familial factor what would you say hegemony there seems to yeah. be some hegemony so so i and i i don't want to you know some of their some of their work is very 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 good you talk about a great gray zone max blumenthal is someone whose father was linked up and close yeah. with the clintons wow. and 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 um in the same way this strange sort of media figure that's uh outside is uh who Aaron Maté's father, Gabor yeah. Maté, was, and they like combined up together. And then you got Matt Taibbi uh, hanging out with uh, uh, Aaron Maté and, and doing a podcast with him. And Matt Taibbi's father's kind of got like this whole like uh, uh, career behind him that. Uh, even Matt Taibbi in in the book about uh, in some of the writings the guy I can't remember his name the guy who Matt Taibbi set up the in um the Russian uh newspaper they say set up I can't remember what it's called in the noughties 90s and the noughties they set up um a newspaper uh website in um Russia um and uh, it was really, really a suspicious sort of outfit. It was making taking the piss out of Russian stuff all the time. But you could tell, like, why are you doing that? It doesn't make any sense. Well, in in books and articles, he says, well, the guy who he's in business with was like, oh, well, Matt Taibbi had his is he had to go through his wild face so then he could live his, the, to the the standards of his father. He can follow in the footsteps of his father. And now you're watching him, and that's basically what's happening. He's being placed up. There's this. Thing where it's just handed down generation and generation now uh when this uh podcast goes out um by that time i will have released the first in a series of articles that no one has a clue is coming yet um mm -hmm. uh, well the the, the, the level of it. for us I, I, 
Well, um, as long as you don't tell anybody in the meantime, um, on Friday will be released uh, the Pottinger um, series, the beginning of the Pottinger, and it will follow John Stanley Pottinger. And John Stanley Pottinger, if you don't know who he is, is uh, one of the main people on uh, uh, main lawyers for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. And uh, and he was central to the case. He's central to the coming case too. That's still going, ongoing. Um, but he's also obviously CIA. Uh, I've gone back right to the start. Right to narrative the start. control. Yeah, discovered his father was in something called Scottish Rites, which you can only get in if you're 32nd degree or 33 degree Mason. He was a Mason, he was Bohemian Grover, he was in all of the clubs, all of the societies, his father. Um, And when his two sons came to power, well, his one son followed in his father's footsteps, become a city commissioner and his other son was John Stanley Pottinger, ended up uh, going through Harvard, the Harvard clique. clique So these are Americans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he ended up in the Justice Department. And basically, the story is going to show how uh, he was central in the cover up of the assassination of Martin Luther King, uh, Watergate, uh, Kent State Massacre, that he was um, he, he harassed and um, set up uh, uh, basically a, a, a way to harass the people at Wounded Knee, at the standoff at Wounded Knee. Uh, that happened. He was central to Iran Contra. He was central to the October surprise. There's a hand in every pie, huh? Uh-huh. And you go all the way to the Epstein case where he co-opted that that case and became central to that too. And he's the bag man for the CIA. Um, and I can prove I could tell everybody the story and everybody's gonna start knowing the story on Friday and it's gonna start blowing people's minds straight away. It's gonna start causing people extreme trouble because the fact is if you go back in time you can find where this all starts off. You can find where this is all going in the future and you can see that the one person that what's happening now is still controlled by a very limited number of people and those people are selected by families, by organizations, by uh, groups of people People who allow these people a bubble that they can never be prosecuted. They can. It came out in 1984 that P- uh, Pottinger was central to arms smuggling in Iran Contra. And what happened? Well, everybody else gets uh, put on uh, under the microscope, but he just disappears. Yeah. Yeah. He's allowed to go and hide off. You know, there's special interest for everybody uh, in power. And it all runs along these lines. So this is why I find that every time I'm looking for where the power is today, I end up back in post-World War where uh, Pottinger and his father are sailing in 1958 from America to the Soviet Union and then back to give talks about what life is like in, in against their enemy. But what type of people in the peak of the Cold War go on a yacht trip with their son to the Soviet Union? It makes no sense. You know, when you study history and when you look at the details, you start to see that the illusion, the grander illusion is nearby. I, I, that also then builds a picture of what the real situation looks like. And that's what, again, comes back to what your work does. Yeah. But uh, to to your first point, um, generational, you know, Leona Cohen, he has a wonderful line in Jazz Police. It says that the Jazz Police is paid by John, John Paul Getty. The Jazzers are paid by John Paul Getty too. Now, the interesting thing here is that he was a complete rebel 
vis-a-vis -vis his father, right? It's this old uh, uh, mummy of a puppet master and then uh, oligarch, and then there's the hippie rebel. I think that phenomenon is true also, that uh, some of these new... I, I want you may make a judgment call on the examples you made, but it is a fact that many of the revolutions, for example, were spearheaded by people who actually came from that class that yes. they were revolting against. Yes. Right? And, this and is why I hold judgment. I hold judgment yeah. on, and it has to be in everybody's actions. It has to, you have to examine their actions more closely. Yeah. yeah. And, and maybe some psychology too. Like, and, and also, you know, I couldn't stand the people who said that Assange, he was a, he was a psyop or like a, well, what a poor psyop when he's suffering in in jail and you have to go by 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 actions and and things, oh, yeah. things agreed, like that. Agreed, agreed. But uh, my point was just that uh, there's a reason. Often these they these generation uh, the new they produce rebels among their own. There's two reasons to that. Number one, first of all. When the plebs, the masses, the 99% have enough to get food in their belly and roof over their head, you can't expect the best poetry and art and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thinkers necessarily rising from that. But the second is the fact that they are, have often rotten to the core parents. We kind of touched that when I interviewed you. And if they have some humanity in them, if that's not completely screwed out of them, then they will re rebel. And I think you actually told me, I don't know if it was on or off air, but you said something about, like, they may have five, six children, right? And there will be one there that is uh, redempted, but then there will also be that one that inherits the psychopathy. And that's mm -hmm. the one who's going to be spearheaded for the next generation of screw-offs. Mm -hmm. so, so you have that uh, phenomenon. But, yeah. um, but no, but the big point you made, CIA and the intelligence networks. Look, you you just have to completely change the way you regard this. Prepare today. You have to regard the CIA, which is the best example of these things and probably the most powerful. You have to regard them as a cult mm -hmm. because that's what they are. They are a cult. And there's two layers to it. There's three layers to it. First, you have the, should I say, the exoteric public CIA, the information gatherers. I don't even mind them if they stick to gathering information and giving it to whoever is in power because that's their job. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily an inherent bad thing for a country or any organization really to have intelligence gatherers. Where it's starting to go wrong is when they think they can and have the right to engineer society. That's the yeah. black ops, uh, the activist arm of it. And so, so you have the public one, which is just completely tools. Then you have 99% of, of the, the workers who are even, uh, whether it's in the intelligence gathering or the activist arm, who are brainwashed. They are lured in and they become a part of this ideology. It's like, study, it's like any cult. I have a great book from the 70s. It's actually called CIA and the Cult of Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And there I, I see people interviewed on big shows like Joe Rogan and, and what are they called? There's many shows like that. And, oh, we have an uh, ex-CIA man or a CIA man. And they are completely, it's like 
speaking with a Jehovah's Witness or anything, they really think they are doing a, re a good thing, most of them. Yeah, yeah. But then you have those who uses this network, this tool, to shape their agenda. That's the third layer. And they have no identification with, they are not drinking their own, they are making the Kool-Aid. They're not drinking it, right? Mm -hmm. But they are already having another incentive, which is whatever perverse, transhumanist, power-desiring, political, uh, geopolitical shaping inclination they have. It's a raw power. We need to manifest this raw power in today's society. This tool is one of the most important. Uh, and, and, and from CIA, it goes better to further down in the minion chain to me, my mainstream media, etc. And so I don't think people who, I mean, one thing is, what, what's this big guy in, in CNN, this gay guy who is uh, Don Bundy. Lemon? Oh, no, right. oh yeah, yeah. The um, uh, oh, God, weird albino. Um, <laughs> no, oh, God, man. Every time I try and remember a name, but he's gone. an example of a new generation who's completely carrying the water for for the forebears, right? So I think mm -hmm. I think we should distinguish a little there. But the, no, mm -hmm. this is how it's structured today. So if we can analyze and and understand better. The power players moving around today. Now we're talking about, by the way, we're talking about power tools. Power players, especially on a geopolitical, global scale. Then we're starting to, more than ever in history, I think, have to look behind the scenes. There's never been so many puppet masters as today. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And I think that's a sign that the cycle of uh, a cycle of revolution is coming to its uh, head on the one side and about to start up again, uh, the literal head, the decapitated head of of the, this cycle is coming to a point where the people who are on the bottom. Uh, looking up see a lot of these people who are enjoying themselves right now but soon they're going to be down in the bottom and there's going to be a very small amount of people on top who are going to get it yeah very suddenly um and w i've talked about this this like the real the, the how it is now today i think you've described it really well in saying that you know the turn of the the uh, end of the 1800s early 1900s you had this new type of power play that was a long term game um and that that means that the 0.3% who are right at the top the the people who are the 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 biggest richest have kept power um for a long time without us even realizing probably what their names are and we kind of see the ones slightly underneath and we go oh look at them they're the ones but really there's this we know there's a murky really far up but they the the rest of society the society who doesn't understand how this is all made up and who's on top and who's on bottom they see the top three percent as being the enemy and the top three percent are just doing whatever they can with a promise of being able to get up to that top bit yeah. at, at the end and they're the ones who are always sacrificed at the end of this cycle yeah. um and then the, the, then a the new three percent and the, the people at top are still in in power mm. and it's it's being able to identify and uh remove the top player of this cycle is potentially i think i think capitalism uh communism all of it it can only ever be any of these isms can only ever be viable um, if you're skimming up the top constantly.
if you're yeah the ones who are on top uh there's a mechanism to just make them uh go back into the fold uh automatically and there's a cycle to it that's the only way that it could possibly be 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 come a place where we don't have this authoritarian rule from a very rich that we don't even understand really exist so yeah. that's what a lot of I, I mean that's where my work and a lot of what you speak about starts to connect together because i really find it interesting to see who's truly in control and truly yeah. has the power so who are the most powerful people on earth in your opinion from the information and the people you've talked to who do you think are the ones that you can actually use their name mm, very interesting uh, and important point you're making here uh, first of all i think those who are less known even if they because there's, there's still power factions and it's like we discussed on my show it's like the mafia situation right uh, yes there are in warring factions but if they have an outer enemy they band together to crush it so obviously if for example rfk would win and he knows how to take on corruption and clean up the system and divide the oligarchs from the the public tools that they need to to have their claws on and suck dry that's going to be someone all of them will band together against even if they are having uh in 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 fighting but i think Per, per definition, Bill Gates, for example, cannot be as dangerous as an oligarch, as a power player, than, say, a network that people don't even, in general, know exist. Because just not being on the radar of anyone, per definition, makes you more dangerous. Because it's like money, right? You can say, who is the richest guy? You know what, Johnny? It doesn't matter when you come up to a certain amount of trillions. Because just having, like... 100 billion you can never spend that money in your lifetime even mm. if you tried every day you went out and shopped and whatever you can't spend it it doesn't matter the only reason they want all those money isn't for themselves you you reach i don't know 1 billion and you there's nothing more you can achieve they want it to control the rest of of the world that's why they need that money to flush it back into the world and shape the world uh, by giving incentives here and bribing there and you know so Therefore, in the same vein, it's the same with power. When you have a certain amount, if you have enough power that you can kill anyone you want and get away with it, it doesn't matter if you're number three or number five in that list. But if nobody knows about you, except, of course, other players, then uh, that gives you an extra layer of dangerousness. And I will name some. But um, I would just want to pose a question before I start naming names. <laughs> you know, David Ruff Rothkopf, he wrote in his book, The Superclass, that there's about 300 families and 6,000 individuals in this super, super elite. So, so we can identify them sociologically. But how much do you think? Because we were talking about how ideology and ideas have lost, has been hijacked and is not anymore after the reset from 45 and onwards and organizations and networks, but the elite remains, they linger on. But among the elite, there was also certain ideas that was prevailing in the old world order. And it's still in the one we're in now. And it's 
probably also in the one we're going into. So I would ask you, Johnny, how much do you think the elites are ruled by that and not just brute power and greed and whatever and psychopathy? Like, for example, transhumanism is obviously an ideology. So do you think they have kept their ideological agenda? I, that's really uh, that I think comes within you say you said earlier that you know the CIA has got to be viewed as a cult and I think the, the the this level of the elite have to be viewed in the same way and we see lots of like evidence of it we see lots of clues to it like an eyes wide shut sort of like a finger pointing straight at the, this this super class that that, that exists and I, I, they've obviously got traditions that we probably don't even know exist, and organizations that we don't even know exist. And when you, if you hear some, if you hear and you believe, and I do believe some of the, the stories I've I've heard about people who are uh, kids who have been trafficked into these sort of areas and their experience um like uh, it, it's like these people are just completely lacking in empathy and it makes me wonder you know it makes lots of people who are spiritual and who are religious wonder if there's some form of beast if they're down with evil if they're satanic or whatnot it makes me wonder if that these powerful classes the 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 it's survival of the most narcissistic and that uh, the genes and narcissistic genes have just kept uh, replicating and, and find floating to the top of the ruling class. And they're in their own little cycle in their own little bubble. And that bubble probably allows them to build up some form of um, their own cultural I uh, or idea of what their culture is what their cult is what their um what their beliefs are who how they separate from the people below for us we're looking up at these people we're going damn these people and they know we're doing that and they love it so so the the, the feeding of becoming the more powerful part of it and they love that and it gave a bit oh, more powerful all oh, they view us as more powerful and then it makes them often i think want to see things want to see things happen and this isn't again in testimony given by people who, who've been in those sort of circles and seen really dark stuff have said oh it's, yeah. it's you know the worst things are happening behind closed doors so they've got to have their own ethos they've got to have their own they, they've got their own culture, culture. Um, we and we don't understand it we don't understand it it's separated from us and it's separated by no it's it's, um, it's a cultural breakaway civilization yeah, it's a it's a kind of, well, a, a form of counterculture that has all of the power because of the way that money works and and wealth works, and that the more narcissistic am, um, amongst us and the more power hungry amongst us, of course, want the most wealth and so proactively go after it. While a lot of people, I mean, the real accusation to be had is why do these people exist? Well, why isn't there um, a barrier to that? Why isn't there as soon as people get that rich, a load of people who say, "Oh my God, that is." unhealthy unright you know we can see a lot of these super rich we can see a yeah. lot of them so why don't we react like that and it's because a lot of people just don't want trouble in no, but we, we, all, we only see an image of them we never see anything real about yeah them. yeah but even in the they image it's like it's like they, they they're like uh just they, they, that's too much for me to handle it's so detached from my own reality 
my reality of being able to okay look 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 at my bank account see if i can actually be able to afford to eat tonight uh that reality is so far removed from their reality they don't have any of those troubles and And you know you know alex jones the canary in the coal mine for podcasters he uh, makes actually a good point that he's been making ever since i uh, knew he came on my radar and that's that the elites are bored you know, when, when, when you can do anything, have anything, you, you, you start developing like a psychopathical mind because it oh, was yeah. never meant. No human being can handle it. You know the old saying, uh, uh, power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts ultimately. So nobody can really, very few, you have to be like a Jesus level to be, and they don't want that, right? To be able to withstand the temptations and the sadism that just comes from a, empty because they don't have real values you love your kid right someone loves their church or whatever we 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 find things that make life meaningful for us and these these are usually at at best at least they're harmless things they may even be beneficial things that's the normal culture in all the world since dawn of mankind but these people have only a vacuum and it needs and, and and it's like you pour in power and but they could never satisfy them and so they have to develop narcissism and psychopathy but let alone that what about like Whitney has uncovered and you too that and many others that these uh, pedophile games and stuff is often also as a, is, is a tool also it's not just a culture it's also a tool right to maybe lure the three percenters into so they can get a grid look on them so Mm -hmm. the question is how much is this a real culture and how much is it just a play and i i okay if we're gonna go if we we, we're (laughs) gonna accept that my audience and the people who listen to you uh can handle um a, a, a thought that's really dark i i think that we are misunderstanding a lot of it i think that the majority of people who go to get seduced by sex games elite sex stuff the majority of them get seduced by beautiful ladies who are what we would call in britain on the game you know who are really just like selling sex for money and who are you know have a two-way relationship and And had their first menstruation Yes, yes, yes. Mm. The majority of them are adults, Mm. human adults over the age of 18. Mm. And there's another group of people, and people like Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell are those people. These are the sadistic preferential pedophiles, uh, as the FBI would profile them as. And I don't think people can really understand what these people are doing and how these people live when you're talking about how you know you can pour as much emotion and emotional content into the to a real low down narcissist and it just doesn't have any emotional output won't come you're just wasting it's just it's just buffer um with with these people it was like they're feeding these people and pedophiles and pedophile elites feed off these children's energy in a way that seems religious Mm. uh definitely cultish um that they need to feel a certain level of of controllable fear that they can turn the fear up and down and they stay within a range they like a certain range they have a profile epstein has a, a very significant profile 
only breaks every now and again. And those breaks are times where you have to uh, examine the person who's is saying the statements of what happened if they don't match his profile because his profile is very very narrow it's very unique he he liked uh girls between the ages of it seems uh 13 to about 17 18 was uh, too old over 20 was just way too old which is why which is why it was unrequited love uh, the gisling yeah, and uh, Ghislaine cool. loved. Uh, she she loved. She loved to. Um, but unrequited love. But it was a different type of love. She could do something for him, and she realized how powerful he would remain, and how much of a good fixer, and how many connections she. He was. He was like the person you could ride on the back, and they can maintain a relationship that looks loving, appears to be like a mature adult relationship between two people. But the the relationship wasn't really unrequited love. There was two way love. It was a different type of love. It was a love of being able to. Support Apply the thing that they loved from each other and oh what that was God, that, he, he must have reminded her so of her father yeah 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 oh Sounds yes like a substitute there Daddy completely issues. completely yeah. completely and she was if you if you look at how her father punished her it was like choose the whip do you want the cat of nine tails or do you want the horse whip or whatever whatever wow. you know that's what you're going to be punished by everything's sexual and weird once you enter enter into the maxwell family back then when robert maxwell was the head of household really lacking in empathy it seems like the whole clan were had this like extreme narcissistic personality disorder every single single one of them was just really on the spectrum of like really really fierce and able to detach emotionally from the rest of humanity and say we are superior our family itself are superior to everybody and that 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 let Ghislaine function for Epstein in a way that was like she would bring girls to him and then she would stand in the doorway and when the girls realized what was happening and he's lying he's unveiled his penis on the massage table the girls would turn around and find galay maxwell standing at the door now at that moment he's about to get what he wants and he gets uh the kick that he wants to and the kick is to feel that girl's fear and to feel that she doesn't want to be with him and that he is going to go through a process that means that she will then accept him and do something that's extremely personal for him. And that's like a, a weird psychopathy of like, and then yeah. he he would also like the way he talked to these girls, he would also project out this kindness, caring, all of this sort of stuff. So he would reform their uh, relationship from this one of fear into one of a kind, loving uh, father figure who who's there for them, you know, and that's how he his he worked that gave him power but the fear had to be there and the fear was created by uh by people like elaine maxwell and these girls not having an escape and turning around and discovering that there was a woman there who would also she was also feeding off a different type of energy a sexual energy she was very unrequited love no 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 she wasn't into epstein she was into girls roughly between the age of 13 mm. and 17 she was into exactly the same I still believe and I, mm. I still believe that I tracked her down when she was in hiding sharing child porn. 
I still believe mm. it. Mm. The, the, the actual, I, I, I found this user, it was organized. It was just like, so if you, if you study what pedophiles are like, they're so organized with everything, like the preferential. I mean, they have to be, otherwise they end about. up in jail. Well, well, no, no, because I'm getting it. What I'm saying is wrong because it's situational pedophiles will be messy and they end up in jail. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the preferential pedophiles are organised. They organise their videos, rename them, do all of that. So when they're sharing them online, this one was sharing. It was Gil G H I S L was the username, and it was coming from the IP address was going through a um server room in Canada that was from a company that was. The chairman located at that very building was Brian Mulroney, who used to be the Prime Minister of Canada and was close friends with Robert Maxwell. Mm. And it was just like, oh my God, it's so obvious. And it's the age range. It's the 14 to 18 sort of like age range that they both were, they were the same creature. They loved the fear. They loved to get that fear. When that girl turned around, Ghislaine Maxwell would be getting off tonight. She'd be able to get off tonight at the thought of the fear and the pain and all of that power she's got over somebody else and she loved to have power you know she yeah. used sex as a tool but i don't think people would see like oh she it's not like she used sex to orgasm she used sex as a powerful tool rape and is always after, about power yeah yeah and then the rest is like the, the, i i i'm not sure glenn maxwell would ever have been able to come I think nothing would ever be able to, well, probably some things, but, but the, nothing that we can think of can, could possibly reach what she had and what needed uh, she needed to get off and what she needed to get off and release was the pain of other people and to, to feed off that pain. That makes them a very, like, interesting like it, they had a really symbiotic relationship it was it was really clear so i don't believe that it was one side or the other no. i i it's it's amazing to study because it made like that that combination of the two made this different relationship that you had you very rarely see this extremely powerful extremely rich pedophile child trafficker at the center of the intelligence networks of the it's a, there's going to be stories that come from their activities that we still don't know yeah. about coming for decades and decades maybe hundreds of years to come they'll be still mapping out that how sick that relationship yeah. was and and it's a drama yeah and I, I i'm also convinced you you were onto her but let's use this as a case study then because we were talking about the bigger picture and 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 this is a prime example of how some of these players uh, get their psychology formation and sex sex sexuality and psychology goes hand in hand so mm -hmm. you can pull a villain rage on me anytime he wrote the book uh, or the or orgasm uh, function of the orgasm where he proved how uh, fascism uh, one of the psychological components to fascism is impotence and frigidity. Mm. And uh, the, uh, the, the, you block the life energy, basically. So you can't express it. That's why the, the hippie movement had to have the opposite manifestation of fascism, because the free sex, everybody, oh, we don't care about any borders or limits, right? Completely mm -hmm. chaos. So, so th this goes hand in hand. But back to the... And, and 
how much is culture, how much is psychology, how much is a tool? It's probably a big mesh. It's the same as us, right? We can't divorce ourselves entirely from the information. It becomes a, a unit. Same mm-hmm. with them. They take what they have, this culture, this psychology, and they make honey traps out of it, etc. Although Whitney makes a good point these days. She said, says that we, we don't really need an Epstein anymore because of the technological development is, is so advanced. So now uh, we can afford losing the old schoolers like the function he had. But mm-hmm. naming names. Yes, where, yes, where yes. At, I was right? about to say that myself. That's the sentence that was going through my uh, my mind. So go on. Name, you promised me, Al. You promised I, me you name me some names. Tell me my names. If you tell if you tell me my father's name, I'll be like, no, it's not true. <laughs> no, anyway, go on. I will on. sign my death warrant right now. Okay. Uh, but uh, we'd only have time for one faction I want to describe for you. Uh, one overlooked faction. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's the only one. I'm not saying it's necessarily number one. But here's a scenario for you. 1945. You get a lot of powerful people coming out of the uh, Axis. You get the entire spy networks of, for example, Galen. Not just Galen himself survives and is rehabilitated, but his entire spy network. The Soviet desk under Galen is uh, is direct, he reports directly to the president. So we have the Nazi chief and spy directly reporting to the American president, mm-hmm. only with Nazi figures all over the Soviet bloc. And in, 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 in the West, he, get, he becomes the head of uh, a mixture of the old schoolers. I, I don't even mind the precursor to the CIA, those who were in the in the during the war many of them did a good job both the british side and american yeah side. yeah agreed, although, agreed. although they were ruled by psychopaths for example yeah. uh, the brothers uh, what the uh, the brothers in america the the uh, the foster that john foster dallas and yeah, alan dallas the yeah, dallas yeah. who but here's the thing i, I want to say before i go on there was fascism didn't come from we can't just blame germany here they just mm-hmm. got one type of fascism that became a loose cannon and divorced themselves from the elites. The elites will always need fascism to keep. It's, it's like this lost security control. Although history repeats itself and they make wild Frankensteins that like rabid dogs comes and be, beat, bites there in the ass like Hitler did. But the thing is, there was a Wall Street fascism in the 30s that was fighting against FDR and I. I'm convinced FDR was killed by these people. I haven't found an expert yet that I can have a show about it. But uh, mm. even back in the day, uh, people were talking about this. So after they got rid of FDR is when they really managed to uh, seize control over the American machine. Now, there was a setback with JFK, but we all saw how that went. Um, after JFK, they even controlled the presidents directly. I'm not saying that... Uh, the presidents after the war was in, but one of them tried to warn us. He saw what was in the works. Uh, so uh, about the military industrial complex, which is uh, another name for this. But mm-hmm. anyway, we have the Galen. Then we have brilliant scientists who were on the verge of discovering super interesting stuff. I mean, and they went, you know, the Nazis had no qualms of what they were researching, which is why mm-hmm. they succeeded. Mm-hmm. They had no moral qualms. They had no monetary qualms. They just went all out. 
whether it was like, you know, let's sue a head on, on an animal. I mean, they would do anything. And they discovered crazy stuff. In fact, I have had people on my show who's more or less proven that the Manhattan Project couldn't be completed if it wasn't for the fact that we got mm-hmm. some very essential stuff from the Nazis at the end there. Because they were yeah. really on the verge of, in fact, they had already demonstrated the atom bomb in this uh, Polish, uh, in Poland, they had this facility, but they didn't have time to mass uh, distribute it. So Hitler was waiting for, uh, in vain for this Wunderwaffe. So we have these brilliant scientists, all of them rehabilitated, all of them shipped over uh, to the West uh, with a race in salary and complete freedom and we're working Mm -hmm. together and most of them took over nasa so cia flushed nazi spies into cia so so far we know there's spy networks unchecked there's uh, led by nazis there's scientists unchecked led by nazis third component money Fascism is nothing if it's not a marriage between corporation and state. Now, the difference is that today the corporation control the states. Back in the day, the state controlled the corporations, at least Hitler did. Mm-hmm. And here we have Bormann setting up 750 corporations that has one uh, goal, and that's to become global, to, to become really global cartels. Tons of money already before the war. We, we, know, we know the names of these people. Uh, the, it's the Acorns, it's the, uh, the guy who sponsored Hitler, uh, the uh, Farben, I give Farben guy, all these people, I'm just blanking on the names. So mm-hmm. they survive. And in addition to this, all the Nazi loot, all the money is shipped off. They make a deal. Uh, they have a crisis meeting in '43 because the Nazis saw which wind the way the wind was blowing. Even if Hitler was a maniac and refused to realize that, his number twos and threes uh, were all about uh, you know dog eat dog and coming out on top. So they had this um, conference. I forgot the name of it, but it's mainstream history, and they planned how to worst case scenario ship all the values out even the nazi gold couldn't mm-hmm. you know make up so many uh, movies and novels if it wasn't for the fact that it got away so we have untold i think by the measure that uh, ladislav farago gives and paul manning back in the day great journalists who did a lot on this i think they are uh, what is the number i think it's like 50 billion which is a lot in 45 oh so yeah have, We have untold money. We have untold money networks. We have banks being set up, interestingly, uh, merging with Jewish banks eventually. But so we have banks, corporations, scientists, spy networks. Now, all this could only mean, could in one scenario only mean that, okay, a lot of bad people flushed the American system and changed the values of the a land of the brave and free, right? But it's worse than that, Johnny. That's what I'm posing. It's worse than that because it's not just that they were integrated into the system. It's also one central factor that we have to remember. All of them were still loyal to a central axis 
power player. And his name was Martin Bormann, Hitler's number two. He survived the war. There can be no question about it. I've had several shows about it. And it's going to eventually become into mainstream history as, as you know, accepted. And we have evidence, circumstantial evidence, to be sure, that they were still reporting to him. So someone, we have all this power, and they are loyal to an extraterritorial power player. Now, this isn't a very big uh, pill to swallow because there's so much good research about it. But here's where people start getting irrational. Bowman, for sure, is out of the picture by 1970, around there. Mm -hmm. Do you think all these people with those values, many of them still like rabid anti-Semites and racists and, you know, whatnot, but... I, I, what I mean to say, they're still old school Nazis, not like our Nazis today who have rainbow flags, right? Who have changed the values, but mm -hmm. the mechanism is still there. So do you think they are just taking their ball and going home when Bormann dies? Obviously, they are continuing, especially because they've been on this uh, growth. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so who is taking over the control? That's the big question. It may not just be an individual, it can be a board. Um, and my point, Johnny, is that the, this is one huge power player that has been overlooked by many, not all. They're still, like you have the Lyndon LaRouche organization, have been wonderful in uncovering uh, these things. So this power player, I believe, is still in play, but I don't think their sons and their grandchildren are necessarily anti-Semite or, or, or hate gays, etc. I don't think they care about those things anymore, but they are fascist to their bone. Mm -hmm. Now, there's something, when, when you're talking about how these people are, they have their ideologies and they get defeated at war and America was this, I've just tried to describe it to people, like the, the view of it was a soulless behemoth, like this massive it was a monster machine and it didn't have a face it didn't have the same culture as the russians and 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 their no flag to had. yeah no but but they they wanted they wanted to i i think they were really the americans were really good at saying where did our enemies go right during war and while they're fighting them where do our enemies go right and how can we adapt to that and a lot of what we saw, uh, we've seen America turn into is because they've adapted the the some of the most successful parts of the Nazi war machine, of the no, Leninist here's propaganda where I disagree. machine. Yeah, here's where I disagree with you. Uh, although, of course, you're right. They have done this. But it, this is like uh, what I would say, the mainstream interpretation of this phenomenon. Mm. What I'm posing is worse. What I'm saying is that... Uh, those who managed to gain control and hijack the American ship were already Nazis in the 30s. They were our Anglo-American Nazis. They were, uh, uh, and there's many families, but those are a super example. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were, they weren't Hitler Nazis. They were fascists. Yeah, 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 yeah I get you. Right? I get you. So, the, but the, Hitler was too exotic and, and unhinged for them. They still want the... Uh, and now we live in end-stage capitalism, and now it's all unraveling. But back then, capitalism still was a viable option that many believed in. Now, these people were 
corporatists. They didn't want mm -hmm. free market. They wanted to shape and take over the money machine. And by the way, these people are behind most of the terrorism that we saw after the war. Uh, they used old school Nazis like um, Otto, um, what's his name again? They used old school Nazis in the field even, you know, to unleash bombs, to talk with, they, they, they went to many Arabian states, they went to in, into Asia. So they were involved in coups, they were behind, they, they took, I mean, in your part of the world, I'm saying South America now, they were, you know, the, the, the Salvador Allende coup, many of these, because their power base, although it was international and extraterritorial, most of them were seated in Argentina, but also a little Paraguay, mm. also a little Brazil. Or, uh, but in these areas, they were placed physically, uh, some of those power players, but they were sponsoring terrorism all over the globe. And in, in, in at least 10 years after the war, they were fighting against uh, Israel. Until, yeah. according to Manning, they made a peace offer and they made a deal. Uh, what year did this peace offer happen? I, I, I forgot, but I think it's in the 50s sometime. Okay. Uh, no, I, we, can, we can find out when, because uh, a part of this deal was that the last guy Israel was allowed to go after, and, the, and uh, Simon Wiesenthal, the Nazi hunter, was complaining about this. But the last guy Musa was allowed to take down was uh, uh, the... Uh, Jewish camp guy, um, uh, the guy they abducted from Ar Argentina and put on trial in Israel. What? Uh, oh, I can't. Wait, wait, uh... The guy who was behind the camps, allegedly. The guy who was. Um, ah, I'm blanking on names today. Mm -hmm. Haven't had enough sleep. So, but after that guy, Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann. No, oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so we know we can just look up when this was. After that, there was a, a peace deal, and I think it was a practical one because by this time, Israel wasn't a socialist experiment anymore. It was, had already started to develop into an apartheid fascist state. So it's in their interest too to become a part of the huge players, and they had many banks on board and many, many interest groups. They were wielding their own power. So why should yeah, the Nazis and the Zionists exhaust themselves and? you know, eradicate each other and then let the other power play arise, right? So let's make a peace deal. Like everybody, look, when we come to this level of power, everybody are pragmatic, okay? Mm -hmm. And when you don't have rabid uh, believers like Hitler around anymore, or he wasn't even the one who conceived of these ideas. He had people who conceived it, but he certainly believed in, in most of them. But these people were gone. Bormann was a pragmatician. He probably didn't believe in anything, not even the Nazi occultism. He was probably uh, an atheist. So these are the people we're talking about. Now, I want to I wanna, uh, ask you a question that's related partly to this, but partly to what we talked about. Because you were saying about the psychopathy that also these people have and the narcissism and all this stuff. Now, there's one word for that, and that's evil. That's what human beings have been calling this since the dawn of mankind, whatever you mm -hmm. conceive evil to be. And you're saying there may be religious or, or philosophical or spiritual implications here. And we know for sure that uh, among the Nazis there is. But then we, you must remember that pedophilia and, and, and brutality and all this stuff, torture, has been it is being used everywhere and anywhere as long as people come together and an organization or a power structure becomes big enough 
it manifests like the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church isn't created to do this, but is being seized and taken over. So I'm thinking, and here's my question for you, that if there is demonic forces, quote unquote, it may not just be that some people dress up and meet and are open about, like, I, I, I admire this, because you, like I say, you find the same thing in people who pretend to be good guys. I'm thinking, what if there's real forces behind the scenes who doesn't care what mask you take on when you worship this we can you can you can take on the hallow of the saints and and still do this because if you can entertain this idea then we can start to discuss the 3d the, the, the 4d version of this because we live in a time now where you have to integrate these things look just look at the ufo phenomenon there are uh, paranormal aspects to that too and there are indeed people who believe that uh, these aren't necessarily human being or, or you know biological creatures coming all the way from another planet but that there for example you have one interesting theory i want to um, uh, plague you with and that's that when we the first nuclear weapons went off there was like a rift, a dimensional hole mm. being created where <laughs> there was spillover. So these are some monkey wrenches I wanted to throw in to see what you think about these things, because I've never heard you speak about anything like this. There is a load there in there. There's a load to, to respond to and a load to talk about. And and you're right, you're going right far back. You're right about um, Hitler not having any of the, the nonsense of capitalism messing around with his system. Um, in, in actual fact, I think it was Alan Dulles and another guy, I can't remember who he was, but he, uh, what his name is, um, but he was really responsible for making youth programs that were attached to the CIA and CFR after the war. Um, they were lawyers who went in before the war in 1930s Germany to argue for a load of bonds to be returned, billions and billions of pounds worth of bonds that had been confiscated by uh, the fascists for some ideological reasons. And of course, they were willing to play the games. These people were willing to play the games and they were willing uh, to be on their side. And there was so much that... Um, oh, there's so much of you that 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 was there to respond to. I'm just trying to get my mind around it because that whole period is just so full. It's it's really important time. And I, when you're talking about like what happened afterwards and what happened after the Second World War, and this really simplistic idea that Hitler's burnt bodies there and the war is over, I do find that um idiotic. And there was a um, there's been an effort over the past 30, 40, 50 years to make Nazis just skinheads who will attack you for no reason. Um, and that's a concerted effort through uh, every medium that you can imagine and is eventual manifests in reality as groups who act like that, but are not real Nazis because the real Nazis are the businessmen, uh, the the people who know what they're doing. And as you know, they, they're... Um, uh, they escaped. They did. They, there was. There was. Obviously, there's a massive German population down in South America that popped up after World War Two, <laughs> and um, Eichmann. Uh, I had a look. It was 1960. These periods are all so massively important in this. This like sort of no, like that, that, that jives with when Israel went completely off the rails. Yeah, well, there's a period between there. I think that Israel go off the rails at this point because um, 
and and okay let's let's go can can you remember israel going off the rails so i can get back to that point if i don't get there myself and i go i can't remember what i'm saying right you go back to the the uh beginning of the war and there's a loads of stuff happening and there's a load of formations of loads of new organizations such as the cia which is forming from units such as the oss and then you've got like uh, uh the british kind of working against american intelligence at this point when the war ends all of their 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 money is like oh we can allocate to try this new propaganda here or try and sway their 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 focus over here and and that's what they were trying to do an american war machine had been created and they the british were trying to learn how to manipulate it with fake information and they you, you know what happened during this time the creation of these intelligence agencies by these people who thought they were the best they thought they had experienced the most and they knew better but the sides hadn't been formed quite the same when you were talking about fdr yeah fdr when fdr was however he was he however his end was met he was uh, a problem um really along with the person who was originally i believe uh, in the race against the primaries for truman uh with truman uh, to take over eventually um, who ended up being like a lot of his supporters were locked out of the hustings or whatever you call it over there yeah but just remember one relations. thing about fdr he was killed a few days that's just a few days before he died and Hitler suicide, which is very convenient. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. The yeah. intel agencies wanted to save Bormann and/or Hitler. Well, I, I think there was a whole new there was a whole new thing about to happen, um, and it was they they needed to. I mean, really, when you talk about fourth dimension, really, that's when we start to see fifth time uh, fifth dimensional warfare or fifth generation warfare sorry um come into it like we we see this new sort of a rise of this sort of uh fake news narrative the, the american intelligence agencies using leninist style propaganda but making you believe it's true rather than much better propaganda. much no 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 much better than soviet this is yeah yeah they were, were fine it was fine on, this is goebbels on steroids yeah yeah so they were they were they, they were taking all of these parts they were incorporating them into their system but they were becoming their system now i i'm i'm trying to understand how i can explain to you what is on my mind because when i researched the formation of the german marshall fund in uh, 1973 which uh in harvard which went on to uh which houses the alliance for securing democracy um and the neocons at the moment um but has also been responsible for loads of training programs and is basically a cia uh funded um uh unit that was uh i mean the people who were original on the the honorary board and the the actual board of this german marshall fund were like uh david rockefeller and and john mccloy and some of the people who were considered like the heads of the new world order and the cia cfi had the big the big guys all of them had something to do with it and it was funded by the german government for the american and the american intelligence units to focus on e inserting policy in east 
Eastern Europe. So the uh, Germans were just funding the American intelligence services to do this. And I, at the time when I was researching that, I felt, right, okay, well, that's obvious. You want something done and you can't do it yourself because it could spark a war. That's what you could say. So that's why they're doing it. But otherwise, they could just do it in mel a multitude of other ways. Why would they go to the Americans? And that's because the Americans are very much aligned with them by this time. By 1973, the, 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 they're, they're, in, they're in together. They, 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 Germans, uh, I love them. I've met loads of them throughout my life. They're the most industrious people possibly on earth. I, I will say that. They are, I mean, they know how to uh, create not only an empire or philosophy or art. They, they, they are magnificent people who are very skilled at understanding how other countries work and a very powerful power that, that, that you know, is, is, it, it's gone through age after age after age um the germanic people are, are really impressive and th they're not gonna die away anytime soon after the war and it, we were given fed that nonsense but the the germans uh, are have taken control in a uh, policy of uh funding intelligence programs of doing a load of different things that would suggest that they have been in control to some sort of extent all along but in a, a more subversive way than what we saw with the nazis because the the actual official hitler and the, the nazis um i think that you're right the nazi ideology move has moved on i i you know living i i i'm currently in cardiff but uh but i i was in um chile for uh six months recently in like uh, when you get right down to the south of the country, you see loads of blonde hair, blue eyed Aryan families everywhere. You know, they keep themselves to themselves. They have their entirely their own infrastructure going on. The Germans, when they settled in America, did the same thing as well. You know, villages became towns, and they were just all German. They're very, very even, good. even the names German town is not a place. Yeah, yeah, and you can you listen. <laughs> Listen, you can hide away as a German. You can hide away very well because people are like, oh, you know, they're Germans, but they keep themselves to themselves. And I think that happens a lot in South America because there's a lot of this. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a secondary structure that's uh, or still organized. It used to be, at least. Yeah, yeah. Up, up it until used the to 70s. be. Up until but, the 70s. I mean, these, yeah, yeah. And like this... the Colonia Dignidad is one example. There's these co colonies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just interject before you go on that uh, I don't think it's about ethnicity. Uh, although at some point in history, of course, Germany was a good hub for these demonic forces. But it's this ideology that infiltrates huge institutions like NASA, CAA, Bilderberger, NATO, even the German state itself after the war were, were run by ex-old school Nazis. And when you ask why America, <coughs> Leonard Cohen answers it. He says, it's here they got the range and the machinery of change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most Anyway, definitely. go on with your reasoning. Well, there's a couple of this. The Germans have been really, really responsible for lots of Willy Munzenberg. Um, uh, he was the one who invented Comintern and a lot, and he was German, and he used to fight, have running battles with the fascists and 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 uh, and others on the streets. But he he. Uh, 
he created something that was um, really, really uh, the future of what the CIA would progress into. Um, Nahum Goldman, who would be one of the founding fathers of Israel, he was working for German intelligence in 1917, 1918, uh, up until the 1920s, when the, uh, eventually when the uh, Nazis happened, he moved to Switzerland and he claims to have fled to America. And then he became the central, uh, he was all through that time, the central uh, figure in the creation of Israel. And and the walk towards Zionism. Well, they all got these German roots that are so, you know, really interesting, not just little German roots. I mean, working for German intelligence once upon a time. And, and it, you know, we some, some of the dynamics that have happened over the past hundred years are just international manifestation of inter-German rivalry. So like ideological rivalry inside Germany and German. No, no, you're so right because even the Jews, the worst, power players among Jewish people are Germans. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's, the, it's the Yiddish Jews uh, that really has, you know, it's not the tribe of uh, Misraim, it's not the Sephardics. It's these German Central European Jews that are a part of the power player too. So it's very interesting how that culture has shaped mm -hmm. power mm -hmm. players. I think I think Germany in general is obviously the driving force, like a beating heart, and so is Russia. You know, you've got these these really important uh, like uh, powers that are really close to each other, and Germany fears their power being taken away, and uh, looks to America to to protect it somewhat. That's the idea that's given out. But really, um, Germany is one of the most powerful countries in throughout history. Well, it will remain being powerful. Up until recently, at least. Well, right I now, don't think... Are... I, I, I think that there's still, if you look at uh, the, uh, how they are placed economically um, and for the future and where their country is, they're still a major player in um, directing the, Europe. There's no one bigger than them. You know, they're the ones who are deciding. And they didn't have that sort of power before the Second World War. They had to fight and lobby and, and everybody would be against them because they were against that side or whatnot. <laughs> You, um, it's a Nazi project. Let's not yes, exactly. That. And mm. and I, when I was talking about Nahum Goldman, well, Nahum Goldman was given his own office on the creation of the United Nations, um, and given his own office inside the United Nations to start for the the creation of to, uh, lobbying for the creation of Israel. It's like a inside struggle. All of these networks and these organizations have all been created to dominate. Of course, I did the the work on Kissinger's international seminar, um, and the GMF, the German Marshall Fund I just talked about, was really in Harvard, was the same person who was um, actually running it on behalf of the, the, the people. This one uh, woman, I can't, her name escapes me, um, Abby Collins. Abby Collins, who used to be Kissinger's right-hand woman um, at Kissinger's International Seminar, ends up running Guido Goldman's um, German Marshall Fund programs as well that would teach leadership yeah to train up leadership candidates potential leadership candidates and all these people are being selected put into roles and they're being selected and put into roles by people like henry kissinger who was born in germany through the german marshall funds being funded by germany all because there's a battle against germany and russia over there it doesn't seem that it's all anything is american 
in there you know when you start to study it all uh you start to look at it all you say well okay oh okay so Guido Goman, Henry Kissinger's best mate, they're living together. They're they're they're, they're making massive decisions. They they they're, they're causing uh, big movements in world politics. Um, they're creating things. They they're forming things. And they they're two Germans hanging around in America, and it keeps coming up like this. There's these German influences. Fritz Kramer being one of them, being massively important to loads of people, but inspiring Kissinger himself. Like Kissinger fought yeah. under Fritz Kramer. So you've got like all of these really powerful Germans. See, he was. He was the one. It wasn't Willie Munzenberg. Willie Munzenberg, but Fritz Kramer used to fight in the streets. He used to have running battles in the streets. That was a quote about Fritz Kramer. Running battles between the communists and the Nazis. He just used to get in the middle of it all. They would, they would all, they would all be fighting, and Fritz Kramer would be in the middle, beating them all up. <laughs> That's, I mean, Germans, uh, Germans off there. It was an amazing melting pot for ideology as well, though. Was, yeah, uh, but yeah, but I think it mattered more in the old school where you were from uh, uh, because people hadn't the great mobility as today when, you know, modern uh, flights and all that. So that's, I think why they produced for that time, the, the you know, power, like I said, networks were physical back in the day. Right. And the same is true in terms of nations today, you know, America uh, became a player after World War II, for sure, because uh, Wall Street, which I think, uh, obviously, Wall Street has always been an independent factor, but City of London was much more in charge. Uh, I five or six or whatever you call it was much more someone who called the shots. Today, I think the global elite because they have no allegiance in terms of uh, geography they have no allegiance in terms of ethnicity or religion but the global elites are using the american state more than anything because uh, I, I think america has to be brought down because of its basically its charter because of its for all its faults mm -hmm. it's got very many good security measures again uh, for freedom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you you don't see that in Britain, for example. Britain yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. technically could be the Queen could come out out of her chest right now and say, "Look, I'm taking over everything." I know, but yeah, could yeah. do anything about it. I, I agree completely. There's yeah. like the British could be under the cost really easily, but uh, but the um, the the Americans. Uh, I mean, that's everything. That's uh, the placement of where the 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 territory is in relation to every other territory around the earth. It's so much harder at the moment with current technology to take out America and America. Like you say, safeguards, but the safe safeguards that you can see them openly trying to deplete them. So gun owners ownership is definitely one of those things i used to be like i used to believe i was on the left because i didn't know where i was and someone told me i was on the left back 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 when left and, right made sense right yeah yeah when you thought left right made sense yeah. uh, um but you know i i realized very quickly that if people don't have guns in america they will be taken over <laughs> that and your that, friend your friend uh, kissinger when he uh, was involved in going off the gold standard and introducing the petrol, mm, mm. America as a state has nothing to own 
earn by that. But we have yeah. this wonderful tool now. We can use it for our international power games, which is unraveling these days, coincidentally. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it was, it was a, they had their goal, right, for 50 years or how much it's been. So, um, no, I just think they take over these institutions to use them, to wield them as power tools or, or on behest of themselves. And uh, you, you were going to say Israel off the rails. Um. Oh, I can't remember. It's very you asked me to remind you, but anyways, oh, oh no, oh no, no, we forgot. Oh, I, I, I no, the end of the line, the end of the line. I suppose is uh, you see, is it, it Israel going off the rails? You say nineteen sixty, nineteen sixty one, nineteen sixty two. That period where, where you start to see this heading towards what happens in nineteen sixty seven, and then like the fundamentally, that's it. Israel is created now. Uh, at that point there was a fight and that was all bundled up with cold war sort of nuclear technology that was all bundled up with the fact that it was um the idea of perpetual warfare of limited warfare of of sorry, of, of nu- mutually assured destruction all of these ideas were come up uh, with between 1957 and 1961 and that meant that in the 60s all of the plans changed um around the world and the israelis were fundamentally had created the most flexible infrastructure because the state had only just um uh, like being formed properly they were the most flexible to dealing dynamically with a situation so i think you've seen the birth of what was the like the, the start of the sea change of all of the direction of how people were going uh, to have war against each other start with this israel looking for the right answer very early on because they're scared of their their own destruction and that happens in the when, when did they get their nuclear weapon do you remember was that in the 70s yeah I, well, I think it might be in the seventies, but I'm not even sure they had their nuclear weapons. I think I think that came later, and I'm still trying to put together some some of that. I'm I'm trying to understand. I don't want to misspeak on that because I've so far when it's come down to nuclear stuff, I've started to examine Pakistani nuclear program, the Indian nuclear program, uh, a bit on the Chinese nuclear program, but not much, um, and then started to look at the other nuclear programs because there's uh, all of the people who were spearheading these programs seem to be um, attached to the same group that again includes people like Kissinger and stuff like Zufika Ali Bhutto um, uh, was basically told by Kissinger out in public you, you're going to get it if you head towards nuclear weapons and then behind closed door he was helping him get nuclear weapons mm-hmm. and directly you know you can see like Kissinger talking about it in memos and stuff um and it, it going against what they were saying publicly it's a really interesting period where they were starting to feed this stuff into people so i i think it, it came to a point where it's mutually assured destruction uh that sort of period once once you've got like um uh herman khan's written on thermonuclear war everybody's like all right then you know we're, we're we're at the stalemate. It's like Tesla, Tesla's death ray. If anybody presses a button, everything blows up. You know, Stanley Kubrick shows it really well. And so the whole dynamics of everything change, which isn't a surprise why Kubrick, I think um, Dr. Strangelove was written, uh, released in 1964. And I think that was an example of them seeing that everything's going crazy. 
you know that was a that was a projection saying look how crazy all of it is no one knows what they're doing and so the israelis were the first ones to respond and it seems like they're going off the rails but everybody was going off the rails you know and one thing i want to say as well about truman when he came into power it's like all of the people who were behind the creation of the CIA and other other uh, really important parts of the intelligence apparatus were all warning against recognizing Israel as a state um, and saying this is really dangerous. We'll be heading towards something really dangerous. But you know, the, those who don't, were don't hanging... you think don't you think the Axel Nazi power faction had so something to do with that? Yeah, yeah, they were sniffing. They already. And this is this why this why I I feel like there was someone like uh, as like a sort of CFR style organization who would have been saying that's that's the focus. That's where. I, I, they, there is something else there. There's something else there that's unspoken within history. Um, but Truman knew uh, that he had to. He he knew something that other people didn't know, it seemed. They were going to support them. And even most of the people like Kermit Roosevelt and others who created uh, the CIA uh, didn't accept Israel as a state and didn't accept Zionist thinking until post-1967. And that's when, you know, you see the, it, it, it go, I think the 1960 Israel going off the rails is the bit in between there, there and there where they realize they've got the support of everyone. Now the United Nations, they got their own office, the Americans or the president is on board and everybody will follow that direction from now on. The American intelligence service completely against you, but going to completely go in line with whatever you do now to try and keep the status quo um, and uh, uh, are going to turn their back slowly on the Arabs, but act like they care about the Arabs loads and loads at the same time, because they really do. Fundamentally, they don't want to see Zionists take control of Israel, but they lose that battle. Uh, that gives the CIA the ability to look like they're trying I mean, to do I mean, the right thing. I mean, the Nazis were, were propping up uh, Arabian states. Uh, mm -hmm. They uh, directly, I mean, uh, actual Nazis who who were re rehabilitated and put in on the in the Western system, I think there was a battle between the Zionist faction and the exile Nazi faction for control mm -hmm. over America. And I think yeah. I think yeah, that I battle I don't think that battle exists anymore because uh, I think they have all developed. They come from look in one way Zionism and National Socialism as philosophies. Are, have very many similar traits. We are the chosen people. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't go into too many details because I don't want your show to be banned, taken down. Sh <laughs> shadow don't banned. Worry. Yeah, but don't the point worry about is, it. the point is, when they develop and they lose more and more, like for example, on the Zionist side, most of the Zionists aren't even Jews today. Uh, mm -hmm. There's powerful Zionists who who, who are not Jews, so. In the same way, this idea doesn't really need ethnicity or religion anymore. We, we live in a time where that has been tr transcended. It's still about class, the super class. It's still about power, wanting power and maintaining itself. And it's still about the families. But you, in this, just like uh, Nazis, the fascists don't really care about, you know, uh, we don't hate gays anymore. We can even have a gay guy in our power circle as long as he's completely on board with our agenda. In the same way, I think, so they develop 
from each their stance. And I think it's very easy for them eventually to fuse. Do you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because yeah, Because they have yeah, the yeah. same values. It's all fascism, man. There, there, is just, there is just a certain level of contradiction that they must overcome. And once they've overcome that, those slight, tiny contradictions, then uh, everything else is much more powerful. It moves everything much more forward. I, I, I agree that there's been a few... And those who cared most about those contradictions, most of them have died off by now. But that that's where I've that's why I've come to the conclusion that the uh, when I, I I see it's like it's about really it's about linguistics it, it, again it's about language yeah. when I was saying that America has taken on um uh part so they beat they, they take their enemies on so they take on uh Lenin and communism and they get and 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 they get to a point where they say okay we're going to use that Leninist propaganda in our own way in a more subversive way and we're going to turn it against them um and it works very well and they take a bit of that their enemy and they they adapt. and I, I i say it simplistically like that and i think that's for my own audience to understand what happened to america but i don't think that i i accept fully well i don't think necessarily it's the entity this entity or this idea of america and the american people or the american state knowingly taking on these parts they were uh infiltrated by this thinking yes so it's a two yeah, there's not, but there's not one way because what they did was they enticed this be, these people towards them. They brought them over to their country. They inserted them. Yeah, in but their you have to look at who did that. Yeah, Those yeah, yeah. Who did I know, that were I, already Nazis. Yeah, they I know. Were, I understand. They, they that. tried just, a coup. They tried a coup against um, who was it? Yeah, it was against Roosevelt. They tried the, the business plot, and uh, these are the people that uh, uh, this guy warns about in uh, War is a Racket. Um, Smedley Butler, he warns against this faction. They are already in the American side. And before, you know, they realized that Hitler was a wild dog who would bite them. They were actually even, uh, you know, uh, in Britain too, you had those guys, right? They they tried to cooperate with Rudolf Hess to, to get rid of Churchill and put in uh, the peace faction. So, and they were cooperating with generals on, on the Nazi side, where they tried a famous plot against Hitler that failed. So Churchill won in Britain and Hitler won in Germany. But there was, even during the war, even in the 40s, early 40s, there were cooperation or, or talks between the, the a faction in in Britain and a faction in Germany. So it was mm -hmm. the less the more moderate Nazis were talking mm -hmm. with the more fascistic Brits, and yes, they had yes. a counter uh, in Wall Street, uh, like uh, Sullivan and Cromwell and all these people, the the business plot people. So these are the people that hate Roosevelt. They hate Kennedy. They tried to control Truman and uh, the other guy um, before Kennedy. And these are the people who sanctioned Operation Paperclip and all this stuff. So it's kind of, yeah, they're not Germans, but they're all of the same mindset. And they are bringing in these moderates, the good Nazis, mm. uh, get rid of the more exotic stuff that Hitler represented. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. unbeknownst to them, many of them, I think, is that the actual uh, power part of the same ideology in Germany survived via Bormann. 
course, even if Hitler survived the war, he was sidelined. Bormann just needed him as an uh, insurance uh, card. But you can even believe Hitler died. The point is, it was a battle of who would control this huge uh, conglomerate, this cartel of, this tentacle. In, in James Bond, which is, you know, written by a guy who was on the inside. So he no, knew I, was I was just on. thinking his name while he was saying to say Octopus, to me, yeah. right? Uh, or Spectre. So mm-hmm. Octopus, because it has many arms to reach. And, and one point that Dr. Farrell, uh, one of my favorite guests on this topic makes, is that the Nazis never, uh, after the war, remember, uh, unlike Japan, where everybody had to sign their, uh, their, their surrender paper, in Germany, it was only the military and the state bureaucracy that signed. So the Nazi party never lost the war, never mm-hmm. admitted any defeat or anything like that. So, so they went on and they had their own uh, <clears throat> network going strong. And in the 70s, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, where so many different power players come together and fight mm-hmm. for the soul. And most of it is behind the scenes because you have this capitalism, which is just, it's, it's mother corporations, daughter, everything is corporations. Now we live in end-stage capitalism. Now we live in corporatism. They have seized what's left of the free market. They've co-opted socialism. There's nothing real uh, in the Western states. I mean, you still have China and Russia as, as big power players, but in the Western world, uh, we now live in their wet dream corporatism. And that's why they're, I think they're pushing for this because things are going very fast these days. It's as if they don't care anymore. They don't even have the... Pre- in the old days, they have, they have the decency, at least, to pretend about everything, right? They at least try to convince us, no, no, live in this fantasy. No, no, everything is working. Nowadays, they don't even care. And mm-hmm. I think... There's two reasons for this. One reason is to do with BRICS and the, alter- the whole rest of the world is coming together now. Uh, they are uh, gathering around the uh, banners of uh, China, Russia and, and all this. So it's because BRICS countries have realized that the Anglo-American elite is, is completely off the rails. Now they're really trying to, before they respected us, they let us, now they're trying to infiltrate us, they're trying to take over our societies. Now, we want control here, thinks that old school power elite in those countries, because in those countries, China and Russia especially, the elites there are still so old school that they're tied up to the state. Whereas mm-hmm. the globalists, are, they need to, to take them down. So I think the BRICS power faction, the multipolar world, they are trying to, to uh, force through is a threat to them. The second threat, which is the real threat, and is a threat even to Russia and China, that threat, and much thanks to a guest you had on, helped me understand that. Not just her, but she was a good big help, and that's Dr. Victoria. Um, what's her last name? Sorry, Victoria, I forgot your last name, but that's Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is a huge threat to them all, because Bitcoin won't just transform the economy, which is the power today. It will also, as you probably know, transform the institutions, uh, the organization of, of humankind. And all these old institutions will fall. It's the first factor I can see in history that can actually just, bam, take down a power elite, 
you don't even need like uh, you know the French Revolution with your guns and your flags, right? This can just happen overnight. It's fantastic. Comments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a load of there's a load of stuff you said there um, that had me thinking, especially when you were saying about um, you got into. It's amazing. You were talking about something, and it was. It, I was thinking of Ivor Bryce and Ian Fleming because you were talking about how the the fascists weren't only um, uh, they weren't only in. Um, in germany they were they were nazis all over the place and they were high functioning clever nazis they were doing clever things they knew what they were doing behind the scenes um, and they were in every country and in actual fact um I ian fleming and i believe it was alongside ivor bryce because you mentioned about how they're able to say about specter and and spot out all of these things well that was because they were part of it because ivor bryce was an o a member of the oss one of the the rare um british members of the oss to be sure you know um uh most of the um uh oss were made up of americans um and he stood out as a sore thumb and of course he had met ian fleming uh in on a beach when they were younger um uh, families went there to avoid zeppelin attacks during world war one where they flew the zeppelins over london and and, and oh, exotic, eh? yeah yeah i know i know <laughs> So they went to Cornwall to hide away. The families went to Cornwall to hide away. And there, a young Ivor Bryce met a young Ian Fleming, and that was headed towards James Bond. But not only James Bond, by the 1930s, Ivor Bryce and Ian Fleming were published in a magazine that was Fascista magazine and was just a fascist, British fascist magazine. So they were they were on board with it all. Um, they had people like Augustus John and people... Uh, uh, write for their their um uh, magazine and it was getting some traction but of course a war split that over now i've seen uh modern movies try and paint ivor bryce as a, a communist when they look back at him and it's just insane it's like a retelling of history completely and that whole period is really interesting because of course um uh ian fleming's working on um uh, operation uh i think it was golden eye in actual fact he later called his oh but he was involved in in a much more relevant operation to the, what we're talking about go on go on the operation was actually called operation james bond that's where oh. he got the name from yeah and that was um the and it's uh, uh, creighton uh, christopher creighton uh, which is the I think that's the pen name, and his real name was he was the he was the model of uh, 007. Um, what was his real name? Um, Ainsbury. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not I, sure. I, I have this from the brilliant uh, British journalist. Um, um, I'm so bad with names today. Uh, yeah, I know. Me too. Lo, 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 lo. I'll get back to it. Anyway, this operation was about abducting Bormann and getting him out of the, mm. the ruins of uh, mentioned before the Soviet troops came in. That was an MG, is it five or six? I always mix those two up. MI5? MI5, well, MI, no, MI6 is far. MI6. MI5 is that was an MI6 operation. It was mm. called o Operation James Bond. Remember, this is before the uh, James Bond novels, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah, didn't yeah. Mean, it didn't mean anything. 
Well, they, those novels started to be written because they were just uh, mapping out their own experiences on paper. <laughs> a lot of it and was just them. Fleming coded the Borman Brotherhood or Odessa or Die Spinne or whatever you want to call them. Uh, the spider has many names, but he, 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 he used Octopus, which is also a real name for them, and Spectre. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he didn't last. He didn't last long after the 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 movie rights had been bought, and he got <laughs> got popular. Um, and and I, I I mean, Ivor Price was a really interesting character, and he of course married into the Huntington Hartford dynasty that I covered in a in an article for the Black Hand series called um, uh, the real Jeffrey Epstein or the original side Jeffrey Epstein, which is George Huntington Hartford who liked them prime. He liked them seventeen and and below and he he had like so many similarities to jeffrey epstein it's insane but he also uh was close with ivor bryce of course because of uh his relationship with josephine bryce who was his sister and they, they you know there was a lot of living out in the west indies and uh planning operations out there they all had a little bit ian fleming bought his own little place out there um, but who they were planning it for, who really knows? Because these guys, they all got the same sort of ties. They all go back. I, I'm, I'm having a, you know, for me, it's really hard to um, know where I'm going to find the truth about anything. I have to find a strand of something that is unknown and follow that strand. And then all of the information comes from it once I collect it all together. And then from that way, I find new evidence. So where, if, if uh, do you have a place or do you have a um, an idea of somewhere where no one else has looked that you would like to know somewhere where, you know, no one else has been able to pr either prove something or just answer the question. Um, for me, I, for example, I, to find out who Klaus Schwab's father was when I was asked that question to find it out meant loads of research. And then from it, I, I discovered all about his Kissinger's international seminar and all of these other things. And it leads me along a line of being yeah. able to uncover the information that I didn't know from asking the one question. Where's, where's the point where you, said oh what's that <laughs> what I, I it's funny you ask synchronicity again because uh, uh, i was going to recommend a couple of guests for you and uh, i think uh, their work in itself will help you uh, uh, go certain places but I, I i first recommend two books these authors don't live anymore had they lived i would have recommended them as guests one if is loris like farago and the other one is Paul Manning, the journalist. Both of those uh, guys did a lot of work. I would also say, whatever you think of the Lyndon Rouge organization, they are excellent in flushing out uh, hidden power players. They've done good job. You don't have to be on board with their uh, philosophy or politics to, to uh, recognize that. But a couple of guests I think you would enjoy talking with because they have... Uh, dig deep into related matters to what we discussed today because when you are going to cover power power analysis like we've done today there's so many ways to go there's so many places to go that it's not just one guest or one perspective right but mm -hmm. particularly as we've talked uh lawrence de mello uh, uh, who she's a brit i'd uh, recommend getting her on mm -hmm. um 
Another one that I think you could talk with for hours, although it'd be interesting to see if anyone, either of you could get a word in. <laughs> <laughs> He's also a Brit. Um, his name is, uh, I'm trying to look it up because I'm blanking on it, Tony Gosling. Oh, right. Okay, now me and Tony Gosling, we know each other. You know him already, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's helped me out um, uh, a few times on different things back really early on, and he's been supporting And you haven't had him on, or you have had him on? No, 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 no. Even I've had him on. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Most people have had him on. He actually sends me, like, we have a really, um, I'd say, a strange relationship. Let me just make sure that we're... Yeah, um, but he's an extremely interesting character, that's for sure. Um, and very knowledgeable. And yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We are talking about exactly the same person. I thought we were talking about. Yeah, um, he's again. Again, it's one of those names where one of those times where I'm blanking on names myself. I'm blanking on. I'm like, is that the person I'm thinking of? That is the person I'm thinking of. But in actual fact, it's but like he, he's the Johnny Vedmore of twenty thirty well, years ago. Well, when I, well, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I, that would be a good way. When I first started investigating and I came across, um, I, into, well, by the time I got to 2019, I was pu publishing about, uh, Nicole Yunkum and the Epstein associate that no one was talking about as I, as I, I, I titled the article and, and Tony Goslin had me on his show. And I remember him right. chastising me for calling her Junkerman um, when her name shouldn't be Junkerman. It should be Yunkerman. And I thought, oh, you are an old school journalist. And he doesn't see the same thing. He can thing. afford being a little anal. He, he, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, yeah, 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 indeed. Mm. I, 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 we don't see necessarily the same things or, or the same reasons behind things. And I think he has a lot more respect for entities like the BBC than I do from working within it. And he, you know. He hates uh, today, though. Well, yeah, but he also sees them as being like somehow a victim. That's what I feel. I might be misrepresenting, yeah, yeah, but that's how I, I feel. I, I, I get what you're saying. And just the fact that he's not doing podcasts, he's he's doing radio still. He's an yeah, old yeah. schooler, right? He is. And, and that's what really interests me. But it, it, then there's been multiple backwards and forwards where he, he realized that Nicole Youngkerman meant business when she had one of his shows pulled off line right. from all of these different platforms right. um but but there's been there's been a couple of backwards and forwards between me and and tony and he's been uh he's he always keeps me abreast of something he thinks i will find important and and i i like him as a person i really like him as a person i think he's got a good soul um and he's doing things for the right reasons so that is someone that i should definitely have on your right and if you can get her on, I would also have on uh, Lawrence DeMello. She can yeah, talk for hours about, so like, for example, if you want to dig into the propaganda duo scandal, the P P2, you know, the thing that was featured in The Godfather 3. You, mm. Back in the day, right, some stuff could come out in fiction. Yeah. They, yeah, they yeah, fictionalized yeah. certain things behind the scenes, right? Oh, yeah. Clever, isn't it? Vatican Bank, all that stuff. Um she can tell you everything about Bowman and other surviving Nazis in South America. In fact, she lives in Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well. um, and has been married into families who are a part of the German expat mm -hmm. corporate banker elite. So she knows a lot from the inside. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I mean, she was banned. Uh, she was smeared by BBC, which is a badge of honor, right? Um, They're having a trouble with me. They're having trouble with me. They tried to co-opt me. Um, they tried to get me on 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 their ship. They said uh, basically, I was I was saying stuff out loud about one of their DJs, uh, BBC Radio One DJ, and my own experience of him, um, basically looking like he was a. Uh, uh, uh doing very bad things to very young girls in a hotel I was working in um and I had free meetings with him exchanges with him and I wrote an article about it as well eventually but the BBC they thought they were going to be able to get me to be like in awe of their amazing organization and get on board with them with an investigation and be like oh BBC has come calling now I'm dropping all my integrity and oh, I go oh, but to... that's how now they know right no that's they're they're obliged to do that because when mm -hmm. they say up-and-coming journalists that we don't see that much anymore when we see someone actually doing work they have to try that card first right they don't yeah. go straight to killing you these days no so no no they I, I saw to do Right, they they try to oh he wants a career, uh, mm -hmm. let's let's suck him in here and then we have him. Uh, when that doesn't work, right, they have to go to number two, number three in the playbook. So so that's a part of the game. Good for you, you're on the yeah. Race. There, there there is there is a, a, a level. The first step of contact they made was someone who was not contacting via 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 like a messenger within Twitter was much more. Oh, I'm just right. working on a project. We're not allowed to talk about it. I'm just an assistant. Then the next one was the person who was organizing it all. You know, later on it was like oh you know your name come up again i'd already told the first one i'm not interested in working with the bbc but this this one i did what what we were talking about b before i'm not sure if we talked about it at the start of the show or before but um watching people and how they act how they behave there's no point in getting angry straight away at something what i really want to do what what deep down like if i was just to let go of myself and just let my my emotions take over my ego take over then the the bbc contact me and i'd say get away you're the worst people in the world and i hate you and i'm not going to speak to you and i'd hang up immediately you know that that's what would happen but instead um what i did was i had a two-hour conversation with her and i told her all of the truth but i listened to what she said how she said it how she was acting um i i asked her questions that were um often a tangent to test out like how she responded to different things whether she was focused on one thing or another and i carefully analyzed her to be extremely dishonest and um, I, I i i i enjoyed letting her put forward her pitch knowing that i was acting as though that i was very interested in working with them and that when the time came i would just mm. say no i'm not interested yeah. so it's really important to see how they work so you can see how yeah. manipulative they can be and you can let them just show all of their cards off as much as possible um in the same way i mean it's it's a problem with with media in general i, I was on um a federal russian documentary channel the other day apparently mm. um they they came to me and asked me if they could interview me about klaus schwab and henry kissinger and i was like yes i yes i yes. i can always speak to anybody about that that's that's my thing i don't care where you're from also like i've spoken on iranian tv recently where where yeah, they come to me and they said they, TV? yeah yeah and they said they said uh we're doing this 
documentary about something. I can't even remember what it was. It was I don't do anything about I don't I've never done anything about it. They would just they just saw me and were just like, Oh look, anti establishment person who's up and coming. Let's get him on as quickly as possible. And I was like, Man, I can't... if they hadn't crushed RT, you would probably have a job for them today. Yeah, they, I know. Oh, that would be nice, wouldn't they? Get the job. The strategy was brilliant. They learned from uh, the Americans during the Soviet Union what the Americans do, Radio Free Europe or whatever, right? They tried to ship media into behind the Iron Curtain yeah, so yeah, people yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Today, it's established by university uh, studies that Euro, uh, the West, American, Europe, five eyes countries, are less, have less press freedom than happened under Soviet Union. That's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, which is even worse, is that under Soviet Union, people were aware that they were being propagandized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People here aren't even aware of it. So what the Russians did was brilliant. All they did was, look, all the great real journalists have, at least since, uh, since the Iraq war, been overtly or covertly squeezed out. The mediocre people, the people with agendas, the prostitutes, and everybody who was wrong has been promoted. So here we have a huge class of unemployed, uh, real reporters and journalists, investigators, everything. Let's just give them a haven. Let them mm -hmm. organize it themselves. They had Americans who was running RT. It's not, you know, Russian state TV. No, BBC is much more British state TV yeah, yeah, than yeah, yeah, yeah. RT ever was. RT was a haven for all, and it wasn't even just one political side, libertarians, progressives, anything, right? And it had a heyday, and then they crushed RT a few years ago. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. But I, I have to say, we in Norway are better off than English because we have our own BBC. It's called Norwegian Broadcasting, NRK. But here, you don't have to pay for them. You can opt out. Mm -hmm. But in Britain, you have to pay yeah, for that yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking uh, rot of corruption. So I that's, know. That's oh, horrible. isn't it corruption? Isn't it corruption? Well, we're coming up to the end of this now. Yeah. I tell you, some of the, the some of the things we've we've talked about have have made my my head want to go and uh, research different things and list to all of these different people. Um, but and, I, and I, mean, I just want to say, I just want to say, I asked Johnny before we started, how long do you uh, estimate? And he gave me the normal time range. I was thinking, hmm. I should I make a comment about how I'm I'm doing long form all the time? You know, mm -hmm, for me, mm -hmm. it's not enough with an hour. That's the. But I was thinking, now nah, let's 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 this play out and see how it goes. And yes, mm -hmm. two and a half hour. Yeah, welcome yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Welcome to my world, long form. <laughs> I'm not I'm not surprised at all. Um, I know, but when you're talking on these lines, and with and this is it's really important to have, like for me, a free ability to to go at different places, not to have questions written up beforehand. I want to use my own knowledge and then help get knowledge off you, and then we mix it all together and see what we get at the end and what we get is something that is very close to 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 um being the same thing we see the entity out there growing um and you're doing a job of going uh, like talking to loads of different people uh, like myself who are trying to put things together um but it's important for us to be able to have the idea of what the bigger overarching structure is what 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 are you going to do what's your plans in the future what are you excited about right now that that 
help if us. it works don't fix it i'm just sailing on man until i hit a brick road and i have to tell warn you as the mainstream media is sinking they are going to lash out more and more desperately so mm-hmm. what we've seen so far is nothing i think they're going to try to ban new media eventually just by brute force yeah yeah uh, and and there's so much conglomerating in, in in the world right now that if they will succeed or not will depend on many things that's happening so so that i don't know but uh, unless they manage to actually just force us to be quiet you and me are going to be we are going to inherit the world yeah agreed like agreed agreed because when after a cycle of lies hypernormalization distortion when you were talking just now about the fact that the differences between like and this is what i was trying to I was trying to I was trying to put into words and i've put into words better before i think is that the difference between leninist propaganda and cia propaganda was quite simply that if it was leninist propaganda it was used during the soviet union you were told it's propaganda brother and you were told you were to spread the propaganda brother and you knew that that meant that a lot of it was a, a twisting of the truth and lies to make people think it's certain way including yourself and you were going to go and be involved in that and that gave you pride for being able to go and and spread the word that is part of your ideology the subversiveness of the 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 what we see in western intelligence is let's not tell them that it's uh propaganda let's make them believe and media uh let's pretend that it's media when in really Fact, all of these channels but isn't that and... cracking these days it, like i said it seems yeah like yeah they yeah don't care anymore it's like Agreed. they don't pretend anymore now it's, uh, it's back to brute force it's very interesting you... time like the chinese say may you live in interesting times it's, it's more a curse than a blessing but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we do I, that indeed i i i do like i do like it in that sense right i, I i'd say that um there is uh, with if you look at Adel and PR's trust barometer and how they feel about people feel about the media in all the different countries in the world it's back down after covid to something like minus 80 yeah. percent um and it'll keep going that way and until it breaks apart and you're quite right they're trying to co-opt what's new media nowadays but it's not going to happen because people like me and you are out there um can you tell people where they find you? I know I told them at the start but where would you like people to find you so uh, uh, if you go to my website and you donate a dollar or more, I don't care how much, it's up to you. It's a model that actually works, the owner system. Then you get access to everything we do at forumborealis.net. Now, if you're a cheapskate or you can't afford it or, or you're already paying enough uh, uh, already, I would recommend a podcast, any podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, it doesn't matter. We're everywhere. Then you get uh, not all the shows that are on the website, um, but you get almost all the shows. And then if you go to the video platforms, Rumble, YouTube, etc., look up Forum Borealis, then you get um, the minimum dose that, that, that we have had energy to make into videos. Eventually, everything is coming out, but it's like the system is one in, one out on the website. So that at mm-hmm. any given time, there's at least 20 unreleased. Eventually, everything gets released to podcast, and eventually, all that becomes videos. So, uh, I would start with podcast, maybe. Then you can get uh, and and pick and choose whatever you prefer. Uh, you know, you're not going to be into everything, but yeah, I can like promise that. you one thing: long form, in depth, whatever the subject matter is. 
Yeah, that's what I like. I like a lot of that. And I think loads of more people are, are moving over to that. Just to mention that the person you mentioned earlier was Victoria Jones, who yeah, was thank the you crypto for her. lady. Uh, Bitcoin, yeah, she, she's a clever lady. Um, Truth Decay was her book. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would encourage people to go across to forumborealis.net, um, donate that dollar and get the content um, and start to like, I, I mean, that's a brilliant way to do things. I'm trying to understand how to monetize at the moment so that I can have support because I need support too. Um, but I mean, that is seems like a, a, a very good way. So, hey, thanks for coming on. and speaking If you throw me. me a book, guys, throw Johnny a book too. He he needs to get his journalism covered, financed, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, BBC a couple of bucks here and there. Yeah, a couple. Of, stop paying your BBC license and split that license yeah. fee up against amongst all of the various journalists and various truth tellers out there. Um, is what I say. Like you know, start let let's start funding the people who do good stuff. Um, thanks yeah, nice. so much for being on, Al. You too. Cheers. Mm -hmm.